I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. Welcome to King Culture. Well, Seth, here we are. It's an election year. Those are always fun. My favorite year is the federal election year. <laughs> you know, there's always elections, but the federal ones are the fun ones. Yeah, that's true. Every year is kind of an election year. But uh, when we think election year, we think these big ones. And uh, I don't know about you, I'm sort of bracing for impact. After the last few, right, 2020 was a doozy. 2016 was pretty wild before that. Uh, I don't remember 2012 being quite as hot, but it feels like the temperature on these get hotter every year. Hotter every year, more media, more cameras, more click bites, click baits, sound bites. And it's, uh, I like click bites. We can go with that. <laughs> you heard bite. it here first, folks. Click, click bite bites. feels like a hamster feeding mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> click bite, click bite. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, at 24 and we're kicking it off. And I, I, I feel like I'm telling a lot of people like, hey, just so you know, whoever you want to win is probably not going to win. So just start grieving now and go ahead and get that emotional journey started. Yeah, and I guess so. I don't know if anybody wants anybody to win as much as they really want certain people not to win. Yeah, I, it's it, a it's an interesting time. It's maybe an unhealthy coping mechanism, maybe a positive coping mechanism, but it's just assume what you want to have happen is not going to happen, and so begin to prep yourself now. Yeah, but, well, today we're talking about something that feels like it's newer in the imagination, or at least the vocabulary of a lot of people. It's something I feel like you hear more and more about in the news, on social media. Uh, there's been more books about it. I've engaged with a few more podcasts about this, and that's the topic of Christian nationalism, right? That seems to be at least a new label that seems to be part of the political discourse these days. And I imagine as we continue on through this year, it's something you're just going to hear in a lot of different places, a lot of different uh, you know, people talking about it, and, and probably meaning a lot of different things. Yeah, it, Christian nationalism is a hot buzzword right now, uh, at least at the time of recording this. And it's uh, there's a small percentage of people I've seen who identify with the term positively, uh, but more largely it's like a, a shame or like a negative term thrown at people who maybe wouldn't even necessarily use it to describe themselves. Which in turn, ironically, makes some people embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> right? If the, wrong, if the wrong people say, hey, you're one of those, and you go, well, okay, if you think I am, then I am. Uh, so that is a kind of a, yeah, it's like on one hand, it's like this epithet, like this label, this critique. Um, on the other hand, some people would go, yeah, I, I'm fine with it, but what do you mean? Um, and so anyway, because it's a, because this, you know, is an election year and this is a term that is, uh, relevant, um, and you know, on the scene a lot, we feel like we should talk about it. I'll say on the front end, I'm nervous as heck about this conversation because it does feel like a moving target. Right. Yeah. And at the time of recording this, there's one way that it's being talked about and used. There's other ways it would be talked about and used potentially even just months from now. And so uh, that that concerns me. Um, it's one of those things, too. I just feel like anytime you talk politically, people's the hair on their neck raises up and they're just ready to pounce. Right. And there's not a lot of grace given and there's not a lot of curiosity extended. And so that part makes me a little bit nervous. Um, mm -hmm. And yet I think uh, some of those nerves maybe are a good reason to at least begin that conversation. And so I, maybe I'd start with that as a request. Anyone listening is like going, Hey, we're beginning this conversation about it. Um, I don't think, you know, this is maybe not the definitive guide forever about, 
a discussion of Christian nationalism, but it's not also like you haven't thought about this, Seth. Yeah, I think what would be really helpful in general when we're talking about these emotionally elevated tribalistic concepts is if we all got in a really good habit of when we hear someone drop a term or a buzzword to say like, that's interesting term. What do you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Whether someone says um, I'm depressed or someone says I'm a Christian nationalist or someone says they're woke. Yeah. Woke or Republican or Christian or Calvinist or (laughs) uh, patriarchy. It's like, interesting. Tell me more. What do you mean by that? Because these terms get, thrown around often used to signal uh the group signal to a group of people what group you identify with or you don't identify with yeah and i think if we're really trying to connect with other humans on a human human basis uh, most of the time it's not the terms but what we mean by the terms that are most helpful to understand and so that's one of the difficult things is we all kind of have to like act like counselors way more often than we'd like to Oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? You know, and that, mm-hmm. and that is clunky and it's slow and it's inconvenient. But if we really want to hear what people are saying and not just project what we think they're saying onto what they're saying, mm-hmm. we we have to do that in a variety of ways currently. And it's especially true politically, culturally. Uh, when someone says high tax, low tax, big government, small government, pro life, pro choice, like you, it's good good to just clarify. Hey, that word gets used a lot of different ways. Tell me what you mean by that, especially if you're talking with friends and family and someone you're trying to maintain or make a relationship with. It's one thing when you're just interacting with strangers on the internet who their whole goal is to just uh, trigger people and infuriate them anyway. (laughs) But as far as like us trying to be like a congruent foretaste of the kingdom of God, pink spoon people, part of that's going to require an asking more questions before we, uh, make assumptions about what people mean by certain terms or things like that. Yeah. So this is a term that's not brand new at all. I mean, it's been around for centuries, literally. But um, I feel like it it really started like a big launch in usage, especially in the media, after January 6th, yes, uh, 2021. And uh, it felt like, okay, those people storming the Capitol, a lot of them are, you know, people would say Christian nationalists. There it is. They, they've got crosses. They've got John 316 signs. And they've got hatchets and are, like, attacking the Capitol in the name of Christian nationalism. That's how at least that was often portrayed. You know, fast forward now a few years, and it's like you've got a, you know, Republican Speaker of the House who has, you know, Internet pornography uh you know, accountability software on his computer. And or people are for like, his son, who's a teenager, <laughs> right, yeah. Right, and people are like, which, by the way, you and I, Seth, use the exact same program, Covenant Eyes. I think everyone should use it. Uh, and it's like, there it is, Christian nationalism, because he's trying to bring his faith in the public square. So it's like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, really uh, going places, you know, in yeah. terms of how this is used and how it's understood. And then you have, like, outside of the United States, you have, like, England, which like Christian nationalism is like there is a the Church of England, sure, which right. is a very different and like the the head of the church is the Queen, well not or anymore. not anymore the King now the King, yeah. right? So there's uh, that form of Christian nationalism, which is not we're we're not going to really touch on like uh, English Christian nationalism, but we'll the but what I'd like to do, especially for those people who are part of Ironwood Church, the the goal here is that we look at various ways the word Christian nationalism gets used. And I want to have some clarity around 
ways that it gets used that I think are clearly out of bounds biblically versus some ways that are clearly in bounds biblically and maybe give some contours about how to think about how do we integrate our public faith with our public engagement with politics. Yeah. And nobody who's been listening to us for, for any brief amount of time uh, believes that we think Christianity is a private thing. Right. Like it's yeah, in your sure. heart. Like we push on that, like all of life is all for Jesus, that Christ is risen, Christ is Lord. Those are public political affirmations. Yeah, the podcast isn't called King and You. Yes. It's called King and Culture. Yeah, when Christ and his, through his people move into a culture, like whether it's a culture of a household or a culture of a company or a culture of a church or a culture of a uh, broader uh, like region, like maybe Arizona or Gilbert, Queen Creek, like Christ ought to affect the way that people conduct themselves. Uh, like the like Seth Godin's definition of a culture is really helpful. People like us do things like this. And if that's what a culture is, it's like the written and unwritten expectations of how we all act, then if people are generally Christian, that's going to be different than if people are generally not Christian. Sure. And so uh, I'd like to begin with some of the obvious forms of Christian nationalism that are just super false, that shouldn't be an option for us. Yeah, and by the way, I think it's worth saying to almost everyone that I've engaged with who is trying to take this seriously and not just use it as a buzzword, Almost everyone is saying, hey, there's multiple definitions here. Yes. Or there's multiple aspects of definitions. And so what you're saying is there's at least a, a few different definitions of Christian nationalism that we would say are incompatible with Scripture. Yes. And I would go, like, I'd say they're heretical uh, or a huge, at minimum, heretical minimum, uh, hugely threat problematic. Yeah. Okay. And some of them are heard repeated by uh, United States Congress people. And so... Um, it's worth noting that I, it's not, maybe people at Armored Church believe these, maybe they don't, mm-hmm. but certainly people with influence do believe them. Okay. Or at least they say they believe them. Whether they actually believe them, I have no idea, but they're <laughs> sure. at least signaling to someone that they believe them. Yeah. Right. And so. So what would be the first one? The first one I would just call like the, the capital H heretical one, which is that the United States of America is in covenant with the Lord. Like I've heard, I heard a congresswoman say, uh, just last month, the God has had two covenants with two nations by through whom he would be a light to the world, Israel and the United States of America. Okay. And that is heretical. It is beyond unbiblical. It is uh, a misunderstanding both of how the covenant with Israel worked and of the idea that God initiated covenant. Like the one, uh, the idea that there might be have been a church, not not uh, founding fathers in the United States that were trying to honor the Lord, what they're doing. I'm not disputing that, but covenants are initiated by the powerful party and the less powerful party is receptive of that. So yeah, covenants are initiated by God. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, God saying, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And there Abraham is passed out asleep while God, you know, cuts the bull and walks through the middle you know, yes. And like, it, this is a God, God's doing this. God's making this covenant. God's promising to bless Abraham and bless the nations through Abraham. There's no record at all that anything like that happened with the United States. Yeah. And if there is a record of it, it's false because it's not biblical. Yeah. It's not there. Right. That uh, the, the covenant, the new covenant, the last covenant, the final covenant that was purchased and established once for all through the blood and, and resurrection of Jesus 
is for all the nations. All the nations flock to Zion by means of the blood of Jesus, and it is a global, transnational covenant that is about the whole earth eventually um, coming under the reign of God. Yeah, so it really is a covenant with his church. Yeah, it's a covenant with the people of God, those who have faith. So there's one act of covenant, um, and that is the covenant of between God and his people through the blood of Jesus. That saying that there's an additional act of covenant is, uh, frankly, taking the Lord's name in vain, and it is outside the bounds. And so any type of language where someone's talking about um, we are a Christian nation, and by that what I mean is God is in covenant with the United States of America, we should run or at least yell, nope, that's not how it works. And it ends up missing out on like the central mission of the church, which is like to birth and strengthen healthy disciples uh, through evangelism and like submitting to the scriptures together. It's not to um, convert nations as a whole per se. Um, Like America cannot repent and believe in Jesus. People in America can repent and believe in Jesus. And so that heretical view of America's in covenant with the Lord, I think is the... um, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> it's the main one. And I, I asked a handful of people that um, like I connected with on, on Twitter, what percentage of people do you think uh, who are in church believe that America is in covenant with the Lord? And I got answers that ranged from 5 to 25%, hmm. which was higher than I thought it would have been. Okay, so tell me this. If somebody said, um, I think America has a special relationship with the Lord. Like, I think the Lord really, uh, you know, throughout history has wanted to use America in a special way to be a city on the hill. Uh, problem? Not a problem? I wouldn't put that under the banner of this heretical. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels more like a historical observation than it is like a spiritual claim. All right, so one problematic understanding is God is in covenant with the United States of America. Uh, we go, that is certainly not true. That is anti-biblical. Uh, what's another one? That, uh, you know, all these definitions of Christian nationalism, what's another one that is certainly a big problem? I think the one that gets a lot of play in the media, which is a valid concern, is uh, what what they call like the white Christian nationalism, hmm. which is the racist explicitly or racist-y vibes version of this, which is like, man, America was way better when it was just all white folks doing what they wanted. Uh, And this is one of those things where uh, I don't know how many people are actually saying that. I haven't heard any senators or congresspeople say that, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of uh, like uh, reading between the lines done by people on the left of people on the right saying you are a white Christian nationalist based on signals and things like that. I know that there's like the Charlottesville stuff, um, the blood and soil types, that I'm particularly sensitive to as a Jewish person, uh, that the white supremacy uh, stuff that's either explicitly stays white supremacy or just says that like white people's values are superior. So it's not like white skin is superior, but it's like white values are superior, which I think uh, tends to absolutize GDP and some of those things. Uh, and I don't know, I haven't talked to anybody in our church that signals or says they're white Christian nationalists. Uh, that tends to be more of a shame term thrown at people who may or may not say they're that. 
But it's worth saying on record that if anybody is white Christian nationalist, that's an abomination position. And again, the people of God are from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that the glory of the nations will be brought into the new heavens and new earth. And pretending like only white Western culture has established meaningful cultural artifacts and ranks things appropriately would be silly and foolish. And this kind of like looking back through American history and looking with uh, uh, semi-blind eyes to some of the uh, like systemic or structural evils done, especially to uh, immigrants um, throughout history through slavery or through redlining or things like that. And just pretending like America's committed no sins Mm -hmm. except for wokeness uh, recently is kind of a problem. And so some of that is a kind of baptizing all of American history as good um, rather than doing that. So th- those are the two like clearly red ones for me. Well, and, and I want to just pause on, on that last one for a second, Seth, because I feel like b- because it's like, yeah, nobody would say, I mean, not nobody, there are people who would say, oh yeah, I'm totally into white Christian nationalism. Most folks that we would interact with would not say that. Um, but I think this is where it would be especially interesting to to listen to some of the people who aren't white and hear some of the conversation and go, how do they hear it? Um, because I think there could be times when it's like, hey, you don't, you don't mean to sound like you actually are just advocating for let's become a white Christian nation. But, but you're saying things that people are hearing that way. And uh, I think just as we seek to love our neighbor – uh, it'd be at least worth, you know, uh, trying to listen there and be curious and go, man, are, th- are there ways we communicate that actually are saying something we don't mean? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's worth listening to. Uh, and I just think that it feels silly. Um, a lot of times when people are like, uh, denouncing white supremacy, it feels like, who are you talking to? Yeah. Uh, it feels like a virtue signal thing. Sure. Uh, but it's worth noting that, White supremacy is worth denouncing, and it's not congruent with God's vision for his people, that cultures develop and things like that. That's not to say all cultures are equal in every single way. Like, there are cultures where child sacrifice is practiced as normal. There are cultures that abuse and tolerate abuse or even just normalize um, or praise abuse for various things. And so uh, we don't want to say all cultures are equal, but we do um, want to be really careful about kind of the ego-ethnic-centric approach that ends up kind of functioning like a white Christian nationalism. Well, and the other thing that just comes to mind in it is I think about church history and, you know, having interacted with a number of, uh, you know, especially folks from a black church tradition is, I mean, that's a tradition that's a very public faith. It's very much saying your faith should be, should influence your understanding of the world and even of public policy. But there was also an assumption that, you know, but we'll never have power. You know, whereas I think one of the differences in this conversation is that the Christian nationalist assumes, or at least, well, whether they assume it's possible, they assume it's like we should try to have more power. We should try to have more influence. Whereas I think those, especially from the more um, marginalized traditions, would go, we, yeah, that'd be great, I guess, but we don't even think that's possible. You know, so we're just going to try to honor the Lord, you know, in our in our faith and in our lives. But we don't actually assume we're ever going to have actual power. Yeah. So some of that, like, presumption of power, we'll get that too. So it's just worth saying on the front end that, like, a a covenantal heretical view of Christian nationalism and the white nationalist view of Christian nationalism are just out. And I think they're um, 
huge problems. And if you find yourself tempted to believe one of those two things and need help not believing that, reach out because we'd like to help them do that for you. Okay, so what about this then? So if if you if someone's saying, well, uh, okay, yeah, I don't I don't believe that God like made a covenant with the United States of America, but I do think the United States of America is been a special country, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of how it was founded. There's a lot of great things about it. There's a lot of the ways that the freedom and the prosperity of the United States has allowed missions to go forward. Like God seems to, you know, we not we may not be in covenant with him, but he really likes us. And uh, he really cares about this country in what seems like a special way. Uh, would, is that a problem? I think understanding American exceptionalism uh, rightly is probably a healthy thing, right? It's seeing American history through the lens of gratitude and being able to celebrate good things that were done and even celebrating moments where faith was hugely influential. Like I think uh, the courts, especially through the years, have in various ways at least given serious nod to acknowledgement of God's general authority. I think about Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, like Justice Rolled Down out of the book of Amos, I Have a Dream, who was remarkably under the authority of God and leveraged and highlighted God's authority as a way of calling people to repentance, right? There are certainly documented instances throughout American history where um, individuals or groups have attempted have attempted to really submit to God in public, and that's been a tremendous good. And so um, arguing, um, so this is, this is what I would call like a historical view. Like this is looking at American history and with the eyes of gratitude seeing uh, Christian influence bringing about various goods, uh, both internally and externally, globally, and being able to do that. And and this is more of like a less of a theological argument, so it's hard for me to say like good versus bad on it, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the other two were kind of theological arguments, like anthropology, certain white folks are better than other folks, that's a heresy from the image of God perspective, or God's in covenant with America, it's a heresy from a... Uh, a covenant perspective, but when now when you start talking about history and culture, this feels more like a we should understand a couple of things. One is that God works through the ordinary actions of people all the time, and that no people or nation are not a mixed bag. And yeah. so, yeah, uh, when people look back on the history of my life, hopefully it will be overwhelming gratitude, but anybody who's not, uh, doesn't have their head in the sand will also look at my life and be able to acknowledge my sins and the things I passed on to my kids that I shouldn't have passed on to them. Right. And that's true for all people. And so this feels like it needs to be more of a historical question than a theological question saying to what degree were the founding fathers Christians versus deists? To what extent was, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, innovative, uh, in terms of democratizing human dignity, and at the same time, like a hip- hypocritical lie, because people own slaves at the same time. Well, it is interesting. I mean, w- one of the books that I read recently is um, called "Remaking the World" by Andrew Wilson. Yeah, it's about 1776 and all these different things that happens in 1776. He makes an amazing point, even about that line that yeah. uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Uh, like as opposed to sacred or well, ori- the original draft of it that Jefferson wrote was, uh, we hold these truths to be sacred. Yes. And Benjamin Franklin came back, and Benjamin Franklin famously was not a Christian, 
Thomas Jefferson was <laughs> very debatably a Christian. But, I would but, say he was not a Christian. Okay, based well, on how but, he treated the Bible. Okay, yeah. but at least you know he's going. This is a sacred thing that all men are created equal. Like we're we're explicitly getting this from some sort of divine, religious divine place. Inspiration, is Jefferson? Yeah. Franklin comes in and says, "No, no, no. We hold these truths to be self evident." Like, yeah. we don't even need that anymore. It's so obvious, right? And Wilson, in his book, actually argues, like, that's one of the first indications that, that America is actually now a post-Christian country. Yes. Right? It's ex-Christian. It's like we've moved past. It's not that it's rejecting Christianity, per se, but that it's moving past it and assuming Christianity, and that even in that line is this, uh, you can question, like, okay, is, and even even that he has to say we hold these we hold these to be self evident. Well, you don't have to hold it to be if it's self evident, it already is. You don't. So yeah. the fact that you're declaring it's self evident, the sky is blue, is self evident yeah. that it's not. You know. Well, that's a so that's a great point. Is on what basis are they self evident? Right, because paganism and naturalism and the oligarchs of old did not see that as self evident. Not at all. If anything, it was like a huge joke. You think these. Uh, like you're gonna, there's kings and queens, and then those people, they're all created equal. Yeah, nice try. <laughs> sure, you know I'm not stupid. I know how to look. I can look right. at two people and tell who's better and who's worse. Yeah, that fact of the dignity of all people that comes from Christianity. Yeah, no and doubt. and so the idea that there's even a democratic instinct that one person one vote, uh, one woman one vote one like it's uh that's wildly presumptive, and and is presuming a background of Christianity, and so. Some, these are some like what I would call like a historical observation that Christianity has influenced the nation in a way that's a net positive, not a net negative, and that should be celebrated and acknowledged. And so I think that people within our churches should be able to read various accounts of history and uh, agree to disagree about the extent to which uh, the nation has been Christianized historically or not. Yeah. Right? So because this is not like a biblical like theological issue, like it's fine. Like if, if someone wants to say, I think Christianity, I think the nation is 62% Christian in 1901. And someone else would say, I think it was 41% Christian because, and you can say, yeah, but look at our record on abortion and look at our record on uh, slavery and look at our record on uh, Korea, you know, and and people want to argue about the various pros and cons goods. And I think, Christians should be able to agree to disagree about those things because they're not core tenets of the faith. They're about ways of reading history. And yeah. so I think that kind of historical, cultural side of things is um, more about making observations and prescriptions and trying to celebrate with the eyes of gratitude the ways that good has been done. I think when you start talking about God liking America more than he likes other nations— it starts to just feel a little icky for me and feels a little slippery slope towards this kind of, uh, like God also doesn't show partiality, right? At the same time, he's pleased when we obey him. And so there's yeah. there's some of those things that, that's just language that I just starts to feel icky. And at the same time. Yeah, the new heavens and the new earth, he doesn't, you know, bump into a you know person from Kenya and shake their hand and then bump into an American and go, oh, and give him a yeah. big hug. Yeah. Congratulations. Like, yeah. like, you know, man, especially good to see you. You know, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, so like preference, speciality, like arguments about American exceptionalism to me are historical. And if you can't look at history and, and celebrate with gratitude the wonders of what the American people have done, then you're probably just kind of 
a bummer of a person in general. But if you also can't look at and acknowledge America's sins in ways that we haven't, we have like done bad also, sure. then you're probably like uh, over silver lining everything. And you have to ask the question like, what are you being so defensive about? Because if you're a Christian, you believe that people, like things are led by people and people are sinners, the end. We should not be surprised that uh, companies and states and nations uh, err. And that when the bigger something is that errs, the bigger the damage it creates. So are there some other than um, types or forms or descriptions of Christian nationalism that uh, we should be aware of? Yeah, here's another one, and this is the uh, the moral one. Uh, and this is uh, more of the people that I see calling themselves Christian nationalists. This would be how they understand this. Or if you think about the Ten Commandments, there's the first table and the second table. First table is uh, have no other gods before me. Don't, it's the first five, basically. Yeah, yeah. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's about like really right worship. Uh, it's about uh, preserving theological integrity in the people of God. Mm-hmm. Right worship. First, like the first table of the Ten Commandments. Then there's a second table of the Ten Commandments, which is like the ethical how you treat other people. And so, some Christian nationalists or theonomists. Um, uh, would argue, or like you call them reconstructionists, they, they use a bunch of different terms to describe themselves, would say, no, we really ought to try and legislate the second table of the Ten Commandments. Because apart from a standard derived in God's authority, there is no standard for morality in a culture. Because naturalism cannot give you an ethic. Uh, democracy is is not, like public opinion is not a great grounds for determining ethics you need it to be rooted in some type of uh, objective, revealed standard. And so thou shalt not lie, or thou shalt not bear false witness, is wrong because God does not contradict himself. It's rooted in then, like, like logic is even born out of the character of God, that God is not like man that he should lie. Uh, we want to be godly. We shall not lie. Thou shalt not lie. And so uh, the idea of bearing false witness and jurisprudence and testimony and all these various uh things it's uh, we cannot root our ethics in public opinion and we can't root them in any type of like secular naturalism because there's no uh, ought in any of that there's only is and so the argument there is you must have your moral standards rooted in some type of divine standard otherwise there's no grounding for it and so So these would be christians who would say listen you're like every kind of legislation is inherently moral yes saying what should or shouldn't be and uh as Christians, we want to advocate for a public morality that's informed by Scripture. Yeah. And this is like, so people will say, well, we shouldn't legislate morality, which is a, a phrase that gets tossed around all the time. But all legislation is at some point moral. Sure. Right? The speed limit is 50 because we think it would be actually uh, a risk to people's well-being and therefore moral if someone was going 85 down Pecos road, right? right? That we'd actually say that's immoral because you're risking the lives of other people and you're actually harming the social uh, fabric. If you're going willy nilly 85 miles an hour down uh, a surface street. And so even something that feels non-moral like a speed limit at a point is moral. It's because you value human life and you value a well-ordered society that you have speed limits. Yeah, And so they'd say there are certain things we need to legislate um, and that, 
this kind of moral trickle down effect is good for people. And uh, so much of what laws do is they establish um, like plausibility structures for what normal behavior is. And so if we are able to legislate these bigger picture moral values, like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, uh, that the government exists for that very reason. And so Romans 13 says the government is there to praise what is good, um, but punish what is evil. The question is like, how do you find, define what is evil? And these self-affirming Christian nationalists say, well, the easiest way to answer that question is God defines what is evil. Right. And, and it's similar in Jeremiah 29, 4, where it says you should seek the welfare of the city. Okay, well, what's welfare? Who defines welfare? Well, God does. And so um, that kind of straight-line approach. Um, yeah, where it starts to get really interesting in that whole thing is even if you go, okay, it's just the second table. It's not the first table. You go, okay, so are you going to create laws that outlaw adultery? Because laws like that don't exist, should they? Well, on what basis? Well, what are you going to outlaw lying? I mean, there's some kinds of lying that you know you can go to jail for if it's a certain kind of fraud, and there's other kinds of lying that like you're just going to you know morally hurt yourself and maybe hurt yeah. other people, right? But that's where it does start to get pretty interesting. Is like, okay, okay, you want to you want to you know have a public Christian morality? Well, how? So are you going to outlaw divorce? Are you going to outlaw? What are you going to do here? And that's where, you know, the rubber starts meeting the road. But what you're saying is that instinct to say, hey, I think Christianity should affect the laws and the structures and the patterns of our society. That's not a bad instinct. Yeah. So Christians saying, hey, like, so uh, one of the parties somewhere um, has labeled pornography a health crisis, a public health crisis. And the other party rolls their eyes at that. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. And this idea that how bad does something have to be for human flourishing before you make it illegal, right? We make meth is illegal, right? Uh, is pornography bad for society? Is it bad for people? Does it erode households and families? Yeah. Well, should we make it illegal? Well, uh, it's the same argument for why we have meth being illegal, right? Is it destroys sure. people. And so... This is where, like, uh, political theorists talk about what they call the harm principle, that you should be able to do whatever you want unless it harms other people. Well, how do you define harm? And that's something that I think you need God to define harm. Otherwise, it's just some other version of, like, naturalistic evolutionary uh, approximation or it's public opinion. And so uh, I have empathy for folks who um, are saying, like, no, we're trying to love our nation— and, the, and thereby loving our neighbors, but we're doing that as Christians. And so this is where it gets dicey. So they might say, I'm a Christian nationalist, um, and that then folks like hate that because it sounds like you're just trying to uh, take over things, but that's right. kind of the basic idea there. Um, and, and this is where, like, especially on like policy and specifics and rubber meets the road, this is where I think Christians need a ton of charity for each other because getting into the weeds of that is uh, it's a process. That's why like lawyers and politicians have hard jobs because they're trying to figure out where the line is on how much harm needs to be done before something's illegal. Right. Um, you think about like smoking, right. Uh, like, like I think about like, uh, like motorcycle helmet laws there in some places, mm -hmm. it's like some person does wants to have freedom from wearing a motorcycle helmet. It's like, well, I want to have freedom from not 
seeing you die from not wearing a helmet, <laughs> you know? Sure. So yeah. like my brother laid his motorcycle down and he had a helmet on and if he didn't have a helmet on, he'd be gone. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, to what extent do these different rights encroach on each other? And that's layered and complicated. So are there other ways that you're seeing this term get used? Yeah, I think one of them is, uh, missional. Like when people talk about, uh, God, has called the people to make disciples of the nations, like to teach, to influence, to create conditions that cause human flourishing by submitting to the reign of God in public. And this is where I think uh, it gets a little dicey is because, uh, not that it hasn't gotten dicey yet, but it also gets, <laughs> it's dicey is you're talking about if all of life is all for Jesus. And like we have a couple folks in our church who are really engaged politically, not at a federal level, but at a local level, and they are actively working to bring about conditions of human flourishing related to like jurisdictions and zoning and uh, trying to let taxes stay local and not go somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, they're doing so because Jeremiah 29 forces seek the welfare of the city and they're trying to do it. Right. So it's, so that's like, it's really just, Saying I'm going to have a public faith, yeah, and you call that Christian localism, you know, but because <laughs> it's not talking about it at a federal level, it's not yeah. as like a vague and big um, and less clickbaity. But like trying to be a Christian for the good of Santan Valley is a little more clear what that might look like than trying to be a Christian for the good of United States of America because it's so big and sprawling and global and etc. And so this is like people who are on mission to be a light to the world around them are trying to seek the good out of love for their neighbors and they're doing it locally. And so part of their mission to make disciples includes discipling people in all areas of their life, their finance, their money, their homes, their, and that involves um, being a witness as they are involved locally and trying to love their neighbors locally. And so this, to that aspect to me feels like obviously all Christians should embrace whatever that flavor uh, of it is. Yeah. Uh, calling that Christian nationalism to me is probably not a great term to use, but uh, some of the way that that term has been used in the media is describing that type of behavior. That guy's a Christian and he is now holding office and he's trying to submit to God publicly. That's Christian nationalism. But really what they're doing is just being a Christian in public Right. That, well, that's, I mean, honestly, this is, I, I'd love to hear your, your advice on this. Cause I, I think there's probably a lot of people who already are like, boy, you guys are way overthinking this. Like, and you need to know, this is a big conversation uh, out there, even if you think we're overthinking it. But, uh, you know, I can imagine some people going like, well, hold on. So I'm a Christian and, um, just politically, I'm not crazy about all the globalism. Like, I feel like it's shipped a bunch of jobs overseas and, America's tried to be the policeman of the world, and that doesn't seem to be going well. And you know, it seems like we got a lot of our own problems. So, yeah, I guess I'm kind of, I believe we should focus on the nation. Okay, I guess I'm a Christian nationalist. <laughs> like, I think a lot of people, probably it's that simple, you know. Or they go, oh, well, is it Christian nationalism, or I have to embrace drag queen story hour? And they go, well, if those are my choices, then sign me up for Christian nationalism. And uh, I guess I'm curious what you think about that. Like, is that, is it a term that folks like that should go, yeah, I'm all right with that. Uh, I, or I'm going to label myself that, or I'm going to be okay being called that. 
I, or is it like, eh, no, maybe just call call yourself something else? Or I, I don't know if it matters. What well, do you call yourself. I think it if for those listening who are like at gonna bump into non Christians at school or in their workplace, and people are talking about politics. Like I was literally in the sauna the other day at the gym, and some guy mentioned like the the benefit that moms get in Eastern Europe for three years. And these three guys just absolutely went off on government theft and socialism is here to kill you and yada, 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 yada. And uh, there's just people are publicly talking about their views of taxation and public policy with, there's like nine people in there and these three guys are just letting it full sauna. Letting it, it was very cozy. (laughs) Just letting it rip on um, socialism here to eat your lunch and whatever it is. And, and, uh, so suppose you're in that environment and someone starts talking about Christian nationalism. This is why I think it's so important to say, like, hey, what do you mean by that? Yeah. If you mean that, like, I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that God wants what's best for people and he's given us wisdom to apply to that in the scriptures, then, like, sure. Uh, but I'm I, I still feel hesitant to use the term because it's so misunderstood all the time. Yeah, it's kind of like, frankly, how I feel about the term Calvinism a little bit right now. Is it's like people use these terms, and some people love the term way too much. Some people hate the term way too much. But I'm not really trying to talk about Calvinism. I'm trying to talk about what the Bible says. Yeah, sure. I'm trying to say same with like Christian nationalism is how I feel about it. Is I think we should be reticent to avoid the term, mostly because of how much potential it leads to us being misunderstood. Um, not because we're trying to avoid. Um, being persecuted because I think that's inevitable. But if I'm going to be like persecuted for my faith, I'd want it to be so in such a way that's accurate. Mm. You know, I don't want it to be um, in a way that people are filling in the blanks and assuming that, oh, you're a Christian, so that means that you like hate X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, that's actually not what it is. You know. Well, and to that point, I mean, it does seem to me like there are people who aren't particularly Christian who would be delighted to call themselves Christian nationalists. Yeah, because and that's where I'd go. I probably just don't really want to align myself with them (laughs) you know even if uh you know because probably we're not defining it the same way yeah and i think it's just worth noting uh the ambiguity of the term which is why we're doing this podcast on it and i i just think it's important for us to see christianity as decidedly public and decidedly uh, open makes us open to misunderstanding yeah um and and here's probably like the the this like view of like, especially like in the American context, this idea of like the government by the people for the people that uh, we're trying to like, because in democracy, Democrat, Democratic Republic, whatever you want to call it, like there's a sense in which we are the government, like the, sure. Uh, that we are required to hold convictions with courage and do so publicly. And this idea that we would kind of just kind of go the Anabaptist flee and run, from society feels like it misses out on part of like the public nature of our call to like be culture makers and to subdue and have dominion and to work. But here's like the tempting part to me that I think is probably the least obviously black and white and probably the most easy to overlook. And this is where I think some of the January 6th stuff um, gets uh, ambiguous is this idea where a version of Christian nationalism that says like, we need to take America back for God by any means necessary, Mm. especially that second part of it. Like it's by any means, it's the willingness to employ 
unbiblical means in order to get so-called biblical ends, right? I'm willing to lie. I'm willing to cheat. I'm willing to compromise um, in order to get the power that I want to do what I want. And in the name of for the good of God. Yeah, for the greater good, I'm willing to lie, cheat, steal, compromise so that I can get in the position I want, so that I can uh, enforce the laws that I want. And this is where I think, this is how I the test case for me of whether you know politics is idolatrous for you or not, is are you willing in order to sin to get what you want? Mm. Uh, that's how I, that's I think one of the main litmus tests for all idolatry, because all idolatrous things are good things that you put above God, mm. functionally or explicitly. So um, sex is good, Generally speaking, you should want it, but if you're willing to sin in order to get it or sin, wait, that's how you know sex is an idol. Money is good. Christians should want money. Um, but if you're willing to sin to get money, then money is probably an idol. Power is good. Yeah, Political power is good. Uh, but if you're willing to sin in order to get it, it's probably an idol. And so I think we need to, this is like where we talk about doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, that we need to be faithful in our process and faithful in our presence and as much as possible, like I think about the command Jesus gives to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Shrewdness, not bad. Sinning, bad. <laughs> yeah, sure. And some of the so-called Christian nationalists' willingness to sin or lie or cheat or steal or misrepresent in order to get various forms of power, to me, should make our stomachs churn and we should be disgusted by it because it's also taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh because you're saying God is baptizing unholy behavior in order to get what you want. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a, a bit in other ways. Like we had an episode called Hooters Conservatism, right? And this like uh, kind of own the libs justifies anything that I do right. type stuff. Yeah, that was the situation where, um, you know, the progressives were against Hooters because of how it exploited women. So conservatives were like, we love Hooters. Yeah. Right? And going like, that's not, that, that might be some form of conservatism, but that isn't any kind of Christian conservatism. Yeah. We want to conserve objectifying women. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's not con- biblical conservatism. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's a problem. And that kind of like, um, what I'd call it like an alt right, non religious right thing, I think is a huge temptation for us. Like, uh, there's this company that came out called like Ultra Right, and they made this like anti Bud Light beer. <laughs> uh, when Bud Light had like the trans uh, spokesperson, yeah, uh, and then they made this light beer that's the anti-light. But they now have a bikini calendar that I saw being advertised, and it in the name of being conservative. Right. It's like, what do liberals not like? Women. Uh, <laughs> what do we like? It's it's so it's yeah. it's um, this kind of like own the libs. We're willing to sin and slander uh, in order to get what we want. And I and I don't think I haven't seen much or any of that in Ironwood Church. Uh, but it's all over the manosphere. Well, and it and it's gonna it's gonna crank up this year. I mean it's just going to increase. And I think we're gonna have to be on guard against it, you know. Um and I think because uh so much of the stuff is gonna be disappointing. I mean it's candidates nobody likes and it's you know policies nobody likes and it's inaction that just never stops and you know, I mean when you get frustrated you tend to you know, embrace stuff that just gives vent to your frustration, you know? So I do think we have to be on guard against it. Yeah. And you, you mentioned some of like the minority church traditions earlier on, and they just have more emotional prayer resources to embrace loss 
like mm-hmm. like and, and to recognize things are not the way they're supposed to be come quick lord jesus and i think it's like if we think that jesus is lord king of kings lord of lords and that he's going to eventually come back and make all things new and uh the whole world will be explicitly under the authority of christ and there will be no like no square inch of it that's still tainted by sin and idolatry like we're trying to be a faithful foretaste of that reality and trying to help people submit to God. And this is where I think the means question is one of the most important questions here, because I, I think virtually all Christians have this vision of the reign of God and the kingdom of God. That's important. And so holding these things together is important as we look at how do we actually be faithful presence people. And so I wrote this thing a while ago um, called like a public justice primer and there are, like, a, I think I put seven different ways that Christians can seek to be a light to the nations okay. in the midst of uh, fallenness. And I think this relates to Christian nationalism. And so uh, number one is prayer. Like, praying is doing something. It's not just pre-doing something. Mm-hmm. Like, if I would say, like, as we engage this 2024 election season, if you are posting more than you're praying, or if you're complaining more than you're praying, or if you're politicking more than you're praying, let's all repent and and pray. And pray. So that's number one, prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Prayer. Number two is evangelism. Not trying to just get people to submit to the kingdom, but to the king, right? Yeah, sure. That Jesus Christ died for you and he loves you. Because I think people have a hard time embracing God's law without first experiencing God's love. Mm. Sure. And if we really want people to walk in a way that flourishes, they have to know Jesus. Not just... Like it's it's good for people not to murder. It's even better better if they don't murder because they love Jesus. Yeah. So, for sure. so those to me are like the two biggest means by which we can try to help allow our Christian influence the nation. Number three is I just call it neighborliness, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Like people talk about politics as loving your neighbor through good policy and 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 I think that's fine. But if you can't do it on your street, mm-hmm. what the, what makes you think you can do it? on like a policy national level, like learn your neighbors, like learn your neighbors' names, be a light to them, love them. Uh, number four is where I put like actual political engagement. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said this, we must go on and say that while it may be true that morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change a man's heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. Yeah. And sure. so some of like that, legislation against evil, uh, whether it's things like abortion or racism, is important yeah. uh, because uh, sometimes the law is there to at least pump the brakes on evil behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it may not be able to prevent it, but it can put the brakes on it. And the government is there, Romans 13, to punish evil and promote the good. Uh, number five is like the civil disobedience stuff. Uh, as a last means, like thinking about even some of our just war stuff we talked about, uh, we must obey God rather than men, rather than persons. We can't do that. And so as Christian business owners or even Christians in government, if you're in a position where you are going to have to disobey God or obey some human law, uh, disobey it. Hmm. Number six I put is violence. Wow. Okay. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Uh, Christians can use violence, I think, to bring about good. Uh, as a last result, uh, or last ends, uh, mm. we had a, we had a, one of our previous episodes. We just talked about this just war pacifism. Yeah, but you know, South won't free their slaves. The North will attack you and make you do it. 
Like there's, mm. um, I don't think petty things. Like I think January six is probably a poor application. Yeah, certainly a poor application. Yeah, uh, of that. Um, but I think it should be on the table as last resort. Same with like you know someone, uh, a man is uh, abusing his wife, and the police come and violently remove him from the home. Like I think that's Christian. Yeah, that's not just uh, a sec a secular good. Yeah. Like, so. Okay, that makes sense. And the number seven is condemning and complaining, uh, <laughs> which, people like speech is action at a certain degree. You know, these are the prophets. Uh, false prophets say peace, peace, where there's no peace. But we can say we can just like verbally. So this would be more like speaking out. Yeah, speaking out, not just grumbling and murmuring. Yes, yeah, speaking truth to power, being a prophetic voice yeah. in the marketplace, in the public square, condemning certain things, praising certain things. It's just using our voice where we have it. Yeah, uh, is a big part of that. So, um, for those people who like want to go like deeper on like Christians and politics, Christian and political thought, I think Biblical Ethics and Social Change by Stephen Mott is really good. Okay, mm, if you want to kind of jump into that, um, but mostly like the main exhortation coming from here is uh, when terms are used in the media to signal shame or belonging. We should just say, hey, what do you mean by that? Sure. And that guy's trying to let his Christianity influence the world. Absolutely, yes, I am. Well, and probably we should avoid ourselves using some of those terms unless we know what we mean by it. Yes. Right, because if someone said, well, what do you mean by that? We're like, well, uh, I don't know. But yeah, then probably shouldn't say it. Yeah. So there you go, Christian nationalism. We solved that problem. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, the definitive guide. Uh, and it will be interesting over the coming years to see how this uh, continues to develop in terms of the public conversation. So um, for some people, they're maybe super familiar with it. Others will be able to say they heard it here first. So whatever the case, um, Seth, would you just pray for us in this election year? Yes. Holy Spirit, uh, calm our hearts and control our minds and guide our hands as we try to faithfully be a light to the nations. God, help us repent of the ways that we've used the ends to justify the means. Help us repent of our insecurity that makes us try to signal tribal affinities rather than try to honor you with our whole lives. God, give us creativity and the ability to integrate our faith into our whole lives. Uh, we want our whole lives to be reflective of your authority and your lordship. And God, may we be marked by the fruit of the Spirit that people would... Uh, experience us as a foretaste of that kingdom, not just through the work we're doing, but, but through the way and the tone and the energy with which we do it. Lord, have mercy on us, and I pray that we as a church can, in the places where we disagree, do so charitably, um, and the places where we agree, uh, be courageous, give us soft hearts and steel spines. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, brother. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.